Good morning. We're super excited that you guys are able to join us this morning as we worship. We have a ton of stuff to be able to do to worship and to celebrate and honor God and all the different things that are going on. So um, what I want to do, though, is kind of preface some of our the things we got this morning. This is our um, missionary month. We, have, we didn't do it last month, but we're now getting ready to do it this month. We want to take a look at um, Vacation Bible School. And there's a, a lot of reasons why we do VBS, but the first and foremost is to make disciples, to train kids. And so what we want to do this morning is, is turn our hearts towards VBS and really understand what the mission and the vision is. Christine's going to share. We're going to watch a little video that's going to, going to share about VBS. And then we're just going to spend a couple minutes after that hearing from Christine what, what she's looking to, to lead us into. And then... We're going to pray over VBS. We good with that? Cool. G'day, mates. At Zoomerang, we have the bonza privilege of returning your kids to the value of life. We'll share that each person is made in God's image. From the Bible, we'll teach that God made them with great care and purpose. But we need your help. Whether you volunteer to serve delicious treats, help with bonza crafts, conduct fun experiments, lead exciting games, or share engaging Bible lessons, you will be teaching our kids that life is valuable. Grab your sunnies and sign up today for a fair income time at Numerang. I am going to share with you a little bit about VBS and um, kind of tell you why we're doing what we're doing. So the verse for this year is, I praise God for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139.14. And um, today, this is very important for our kids to hear, that they're wonderfully made, that um, there is an awe that comes with uh, our God, the fact that he made us. That fearfully, that I've been thinking about that one. What does that mean? How do you explain that to little ones? Just the awe of who God is, the wonder, the might, the power of who our God is, is astonishing. So we're hoping to communicate that truth with our kids this summer. Um, thinking of why I chose this one in particular, the sanctity of life. It is true that God created us. That is not a truth that is commonly understood or told the the world that i grew up in the world that you grew up in has has shifted shifted from a biblical based view of when you watch tv when you read the paper when you there was an underlying this is who god is if it wasn't said if it wasn't stated we were kind of all on the same page not so much anymore the next generation below their entertainment even believers even watching you know my kids are young adults now watching them what they was available for them as entertainment, no longer biblically based, um, more Eastern, lots of different philosophies coming in. Lots of times I had to explain and help them guard against what wasn't true. And even more so now with these little ones. So if you are um, in favor of truth, if you are interested, if you have said lately and screamed at the TV, why are you not seeing what is true? This is where you need to be. 
this is where you need to be. You need to come and help us instill in this next generation um, the truth about our amazing God. He did make us. He does exist. He is real. He does have authority. He does love us tremendously. And we are valuable, valuable strictly because he says we are. So come and join us. We're going to learn about how we're made in God's image, how he has designed the world. We're made with worth. We're made for a relationship with him, and we're made for a reason. So I have just a little antidote to tell you. So, again, I said my kids are early 20s. They're out in the work world, and my nephew as well. This is the thinking just to, to show the thinking that we're combating. I don't know if you know there was a thought experiment a long time ago that if you're on a train and you are controlling the train and you're the only one that can control the train, there's two paths coming up. One path has five people that are there. They can't hear you. They can't see you. You're going to run into them if, if you don't move the track. And on the other one, there's one person. So you're in control. You can decide, do I run into these five people? Do I run into one person? What are you going to do? And most people years ago would say, I'm going to run into the one to save the lives of the five. Well, the new one is there's people on this side and there's a dog on this side. And as my nephew at 19 is talking to older men in his work, he was so crestfallen to discover that most of them would hit the people and save the dog because the dog is innocent. So that, that is why one of the reasons the value of human life is a necessity for us, us to be teaching um, and not common knowledge as you know, we used to consider it anyway. Just be thinking about that. Come and join us. Come and tell the truth to the, our children, the children that are churched, the children out in the community that are coming that are not churched. They get to hear the truth about who God is and find hope here, to hear that God loves them, that there is authority, that the world is not shaking and falling apart, but God is our steadfast authority. So come join us, please. There's a sign-up out um, Outside on the, in the foyer, you'll see that there's lots of spaces. There is a prayer list in the bulletin. Please be praying. Look at day 21 especially, that every child be aware or be in awe of the Lord much more as a result of this VBS. So praying for that for our kids, our church kids, and the kids from the community that don't know anything about the Lord, that they would come, that they would be in awe of our amazing God. There's also a craft list on the back. Um, and a lot of those are links to Amazon, so you can just go and buy it and send it here. So please join us. Come um, endeavor together with us to tell the truth to our kids. Go anywhere. So we're going to pray over Christine. One of the verses that we're going to be talking about this morning is how the church gathered together. And they prayed for boldness, and the Holy Spirit came upon them to be able to preach with boldness. So let's pray together now and over VBS. Father, we thank you that you've given to us the privilege to be able to come before you and to stand in the gap, especially for the next generation, for Christine, for her team. Lord, we pray over them now that, Holy Spirit, you would give them a freshness of power and boldness to be able to preach the word with great boldness and clarity. Lord, for the, the kids that you would bring, you, you know who they are already. And the homes that they represent, Father, may the word flow through this team and into the hearts of these children, transforming their hearts and their lives. Father, we pray even now that you would bind the evil one from any distractions, 
anything that would that would hinder the gospel from going out. Lord, we know that you are greater and we trust in that truth. Lord, so we ask even now in the name of Jesus that you would pour out your spirit and that we would see great things happen in Jesus name. Amen. Other things that we want to uh, cover this morning is an announcement. Um, as with life, there are different seasons and different chapters. And Michelle and Charlie are entering into a new chapter. It's kind of, I guess, kind of retirement or a change of chapter. So what we want to do is we want to honor Michelle and Charlie. You can come up too. Come on up. Uh, for her many years of working in, in women's ministry and Fred... So we have we have a little gift for you guys, but we want to announce her her retirement from leading in women's ministry. But she's not going very far. They're not going anywhere. Um, but we want to be able to, to say thank you. So can we give her a round of applause and say thank you? And we want to pray over them, blessings over them. Father, we thank you for Michelle and Charlie. And just their, their compassion, their heart for you, their heart for the lost. And, and Lord, their gifts that you've given to them, helps and, and teaching and wisdom and ministry and all the different things that, Holy Spirit, you've been working through them for so many years. And you'll continue to do that. So, Lord, as uh, Michelle and Charlie uh, enter into the, the, the next chapter, Lord, we know that Michelle's desire is that younger women would step up. And Lord, may you do that. May you tug on their hearts even now that we would see the next generation step up and minister to the younger generation, that we would see the gospel go out and that hearts would be changed. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And we want to be able to be enjoying that time. As the ushers come forward for this morning's offering, they'll gather those. We'll enter into a time of worship. If you're watching online, this would be a good time for you to gather uh, something for communion, some bread and a cup. And then we'll have a communion time too. So let's pray. God, I thank you for all that you've done. God, you are amazing and kind and holy and just and true. God, there is none other than you and there is no salvation outside of the name of Jesus. We are your people called by your name to stand in the gap to minister the gospel of grace. Lord, we praise you and we thank you. As we'll study this morning, as the church would gather together, they prayed for boldness and God, you shook the place. Lord, we pray that you would shake us up. We thank you for all that you provided this week and these first fruits of that which you provided are gifts back to you. May you use them for your kingdom's glory. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. No matter what type of week that you had, whether you had a bumpy week or a great week, when we lift up our praises to our God, He is able to move on our behalf. So let's lift our praise to Him this morning. Let praise be a weapon that silences the enemy. Let praise be a weapon that conquers all anxiety. Let it rise. And it changes everything We do with all we are And we your victory 
for bringing us through another week. How your faithfulness, how you never left us, you never forsook us. And so we are here to worship you, to adore you, and to say thank you. And most importantly, as we just said in the song, oh, how much we love you for the deep love that you've given us. We worship you. We adore you this morning. Holy Spirit, teach us from your word now, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you would, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, as we continue our study through Luke's writing here in Acts. I have a question for you. Can anyone cancel the gospel? Cancel culture is... is been named, and it's something that we see in our world today where if somebody doesn't like something or if they're offended by something, then they're going to speak out and they're going to try to cancel you. As government continues to gain strength and control, they're trying to cancel the Bible, they're trying to cancel church, they're trying to cancel an awful lot of things. Is it possible for anything or anyone 
to silence the gospel message? Absolutely not. And it's not about us fighting back. It's about the power of God. The world is seeking to cancel the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's not something new. It is something that has gone on ever since Jesus began to preach and to do ministry within this. Satan thought he could cancel God's redemption plan at the cross. Did he win? Nope. He lost. He thought, well, here it is. We, we can cancel the plan and we can cancel the gospel message. Jesus died. Done. <laughs> then Jesus rose. Well, then Jesus ascended. Now he's out of here. We're not going to hear from him anymore, right? No. It doesn't quite work that way. Why? Because God is greater. But ever since the resurrection, the enemies of God have been rejecting the witness of the church and the witness of the gospel message. They seek to cancel everything that is part of that witness. As we come into our passage this morning... We've got to understand, this isn't something that, that is new to us. As I said, Satan's been trying to do it for a long time. They've been trying to do it to the church for a very long time. And if we don't look back at the past and see how the disciples handled it, it would be really easy to give in to the pressure. But there's a key. There's a key that will unlock the power of God. In order to be able to preach, to be able to stand firm. For many people, they're going to look at, at the pressures and they're going to say, well, you know, I, I, I don't want to offend somebody or I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that. I can tell you this. There is a power that is beyond you, that's available to you to be able to take this stand. And to take that stand and see the power of God work in people's lives. We're continuing in this account. And if you remember where we've been in Acts, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through Peter and preaching, 3,000 people came to faith. If you remember on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and 120 people were able to speak in foreign languages to minister. And 3,000 people had come to faith. They were saved, and the ministry began to grow. Well, up until this time, the ministry of Jesus was off the radar. Why? Because they thought Jesus is gone. Do you imagine the Sanhedrin, as we're going to take a look at, when they, when they realize, uh-oh, it's starting again. We thought we had accomplished extinguishing this. And now a second miracle, as we studied last week on the Temple Mount, where Peter heals a lame man, and in this event that had taken place, all these people had gathered after the time of worship, and in that time at Solomon's portico, and Peter started preaching. And as we learned last week, now the number is up to 5,000. Let's do the math. Literally in a matter of days, maybe a week, it went from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000. Can you imagine the mind of the Sanhedrin now? They're going nuts. Why? Because they thought that their problem was solved. And the witness is growing and growing and growing. This group of Sadducees were, were bothered, annoyed, 
Because something that they thought that they could control could not be controlled. And I can tell you this, you cannot stop the gospel from going out. The world cannot stop the gospel from going out. And we need to stand firm, but there is, a, as I said, a key that unlocks this power. And the key is the witness of the gospel is by the power of God. We've got to understand in, in 1 John 4, 4, it says, you are, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Because, what does the text say? Greater is he who is in you than who? That is the key. Now, how do we get there? We're going to take a look at our text this morning. I'm going to ask that you stand as we read through Acts chapter 4, 1 to 31. It's quite long, so if you can't stand that long, then I get it. We stand out of respect for God's word. As we read through this, may the Holy Spirit enlighten your heart to the passages and the things that are in here that really, really it will impact you and empower you. In Acts 4, 1, it says, As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, and being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them, and they put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Now on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power... Or, in what name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, and by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Well, now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer one to another, saying, What should we do with these men? For the fact that his noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to give you heed, or to rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them. On an account of the people, and because they were all glorifying God for what had happened, for the man was no more than 40 years old in whom this miracle of healing had been performed. 
And when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and the elders said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. And who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city there are gathered together against your holy servants, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant your bondservants they may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. That's a pretty powerful account. When you look at that, you're like, okay, Lord, bring the earthquake. But the earthquake doesn't come until the prayer comes. But the prayer didn't come until the realization of the persecution. One of the things that we got to understand as a Christ follower is that your public testimony and witness is going to draw persecution. If you take a stand and you preach the gospel, you will be persecuted. You will be oppressed. There is an oppression. Now, Peter and John, they were speaking in the temple courtyard. What were they speaking? They were speaking the name of Jesus. This guy was healed and everybody was amazed and they're they're looking at him going, well, how did this happen? And they were presenting the gospel to people that were all there. And as they were doing this, the temple guard shows up and came upon them. Now, came upon them is a really nice Bible term. It came down on, they seized them within this. Now, we've got to understand, it was evening sacrifice. If you remember, they went up at the evening sacrifice, 3 p.m., and they go and they heal the guy. The guy follows them in, they worship, and then they come out. So this is kind of like more like five or six at night within this. And the crowd is gathered together and, and the gospel got out within this and the Sadducees came with the guard. It's interesting that Luke accounts the Sadducees. Why did not he say the whole Sanhedrin and just the Sadducees? Because the Sadducees were the ones that were really annoyed. Why were the Sadducees really annoyed? They don't believe in the afterlife. They don't believe anything spiritual and they don't believe in the resurrection at all. So they were really upset with the fact that the, they were preaching the resurrection of Jesus. To them, it was heresy within this. The temple guard was the number two guy next to the high priest. His job as a temple guard, the captain of the temple guard, was to keep the peace on the temple. Why? Because we can't forget, they were under Roman occupation. And so under Roman occupation, they allowed the Jews to govern themselves Within parameters, but the temple guard was, and the captain was there to keep the peace. Now, there was riots all the time, as there is even today. And their job was to keep the peace that was there. And they were scared that if there was another riot on the temple mount, that Rome would come in, and that they would come in and, and, and take care of them. And the Sadducees were upset because they were preaching this other doctrine that they didn't believe in. And so within this, they were all up fearful. The other concept that was here 
is that Peter and John are representing a ministry and mission that they thought they had extinguished. They didn't extinguish it. It is growing like wildfire. The, the amount of people that are there, the church grew from, as I said, 120 to 3,000 to now 5,000. And it is growing and growing in a matter of weeks. I wish we would see converts like that. I wish we would see people of coming to faith. Could you imagine the whole cities of Scappoose and St. Helens and Columbia City and Goble and Rainier all coming to faith and people going, what is going on there? And people coming to that, that place. Well, it's not going to happen unless you open your mouth and you preach and you preach with boldness. Peter and John were preaching on the home turf of these religious leaders. Mind you, these are the same religious leaders that just earlier tried and crucified Jesus. So they got to put a stop to it. So they all come together and they grab a hold of them within this, verses 5 through 7, and they wanted to try to destroy or at least silence the testimony. Notice the, the scorecard of who's against them. You got Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John and Alexander, and those of priestly descent. Well, you say, well, who are these? Annas was the real high priest, although he was retired. He was the one that was still pulling the strings. Caiaphas was Annas' son-in-law that was appointed because Annas didn't want to lose control. So he says, look at son-in-law, you're married to my daughter. You'll take the position and you're going to do what I tell you to do. John and Alexander, we really don't know who they are other than the fact that they were of priestly descent. But could you imagine? These are the same people that had tried Jesus. The whole council of the Sanhedrin, we've got to understand that, would have numbered 71. They had a special council chambers. It was set in a half circle. And it was the number 71. 70 plus 1 comes from Moses in Exodus, and you can, or I'm sorry, in Numbers 11.16, where Moses would set up a council of 70 men, and he would be the number one, so he would be able to do that. They had set up this council, and they were the rulers of the governing party. So what they would do is they had grabbed a hold of these leaders, John and Peter, and they had brought them in to question them. And they needed to understand what was going on. They had placed them in the center and began to ask, by what power or name have you done this? Why are you doing this? What is the power? Who, by what authority? Well, at one point, it is kind of a legitimate question. Because they are preaching on the Temple Mount. And the Sanhedrin's responsible for what's going on on the Temple Mount. So, in one point, it is a legitimate question. Until you get to the name Jesus. Oh, now we've got a problem. Now we've got a problem. Because it's no longer the fact that you're just preaching. You're preaching Jesus. It's interesting to me that the world is fine with people giving all kinds of messages. They can speak their mind and do whatever they want to do, but the minute you name the name Jesus, now they, as the text says, they're annoyed. They're annoyed. By what power, by what authority are you doing this? Who gave you the authority to do this? Why were they missing it? 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, 
For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Those are both present active participles. Meaning those that are presently perishing, it's foolishness to them. But for those that are being saved, it is the power of God within that. Here we have a collision of conditions. Annas, Caiaphas, all of these people are perishing. And to them, the gospel message is foolishness. But Peter and John, they know the power of God. And they're going to stand on the power of God. How about you? Are you perishing? Or are you experiencing the power of God? You're only in one of two camps. One of two conditions. We've got to understand that Peter and John were preaching from the position of the power of God. The answer is it's a power of God, the commission. I love verse 8 because it, it, Peter, Peter boldly. This is the same guy who cowered next to a fire when a little girl comes up and says, You were with him. Oh, no, I'm not. Now he has his voice. But it's not his voice, it's the Holy Spirit. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders, and I like the fact that he opens up kindly. He takes this opportunity. He doesn't see it as a threat. He sees it as an opportunity. Here's my opportunity. I get to preach to the Sanhedrin. And so he starts out to be able to preach. Jesus would tell him, and the other disciples, that this would happen. In fact, he promised power to preach. In Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, says this, When they bring you before the synagogue and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense, or what you are to say. Why? For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what to say. Don't try to create a defense for yourself, but tap into the power of the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit speak through you. Have you ever had that happen? Where you're in a condition and you just said, okay, not my problem, God, your problem, you better start talking. And be open to do that. And Peter opens his up and he, and, and he challenges him. He says, to them kindly, which I, I, I appreciate, rulers and elders of the people. If we are on trial for the benefit done to a sick man, and we are, as to how this man is made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people, it's by the name of Jesus. You want to know? It's by the name of Jesus. The name meaning the authority. It's the authority of Jesus by which this man is being healed. Let it be known to all of you. I love the fact that Peter does not claim the authority for the healing himself. Did you see that? He gives all credit and all honor to Jesus for this. And he understands that he was commanded and commissioned to go. He is completely dependent. 
later on, again, Jesus would say in Luke 21, 14 to 15, he says, so make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourself. I will give you utterance and wisdom, which none of your opponents notice. I love this part. Will be able to resist or refute. Now, if you get this, when you stand before somebody who is, is opposing you, just realize they're not fighting with you. They're arguing with God. And if you're dependent and empowered by the Holy Spirit, then the words that come out of you are the, make sure they're the words of God, but they're going to be in a way that will silence them. I love it when God silences enemies and leaves them into this condition that, that they just really have nothing to speak. The other thing is that I love about the boldness of Peter and the, the, the real crux of the accusation is by what power, and it's the power of this Jesus. The Jesus who you killed. It's on you. The same Jesus that God raised from the dead. The power of the resurrection, the evidence of the power of God to come back through Jesus is that same power that healed this man, and you missed it. You blew it. The center of the gospel is the power of the resurrection. If there's one thing that you can preach about Jesus, is that Jesus Christ came, added to Himself humanity, died on the cross for the sins of all mankind, was buried, three days later, rose again victorious, and that debt of sin is paid. The power of the resurrection gives new life for all that believe. It's the power that heals. And it's the power that saves. And as Peter would say, there is salvation in no other name than what? The name of Jesus. He brings this to their attention. Powerfully. He quotes Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected, he became the chief cornerstone. they got to understand that Jesus is the foundation of faith. Everything is centered on him. That's the gospel message. That's what we need to preach and keep it simple. The council was the builders. The house of Israel was being built, but it's all built on Jesus. Peter makes an exclusive claim. No other salvation other than the name of Jesus. You say, well, that's pretty narrow-minded. Yep. You mean faith in Jesus is the only way that, that I can be saved? Yep. And it's not just a simple faith. It's the, it's the faith that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and that by accepting the forgiveness that comes from from Jesus, you can have eternal life. It's that simple. But it's that much of a surrender. There is no other authority than the name of Jesus to save. We've got to be very, very clear. Peter had a limited amount of time to be able to speak to these guys. And he wanted to make sure that there was no middle ground. I think so many times in the church today, we waffle in presenting the gospel. 
We waffle and try to talk people into the kingdom. We just need to present the gospel and let the power of God do the work. And let that Holy Spirit do the work. Well, what is their response? Well, within this, they try to silence Peter. It says now, verse 13, they observed the confidence of Peter and John, understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, and amazed and began to recognize that they had been with Jesus. I love that passage. Because they look at him and they say, you are unschooled men. How is it that you're talking as educated? Oh, wait a minute. You can talk like this because you've been with Jesus. When you talk with people, could they make that statement about you? You've been with Jesus. You've spent time with him. You've learned unto him. They, they categorize them as unlearned or uneducated men. They said the same thing about Jesus. In John seven fifteen it says, The Jews were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? Is there a problem with education when education supersedes common sense? That was a big amen. The reality is this. These were educated people that were dumb. And there were dumb fishermen that were educated. Why? Because they spent time with Jesus. More importantly, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't in their own merit or their own degrees. It was the power of God flowing through them. And that effectual witness left them, as verse 14 says, there had nothing left to say. Dumb fishermen shut up the PhDs. They had no argument. And I love that. Because that spirit-led witness, it's going to lead to this frustration, verses 15 to 17, when they ordered them to leave the council and began to confer one another, what should we do with these men? We can't argue the miracle. We know this guy, 40-year-old guy that's been lame at, at, at the gate this whole time, and we know him. And he said, we can't argue this. They can't argue about the miracles and the transformations of life. When the power of God moves on people's lives and brings about the change, you can't argue with that. And they were trying to figure out how they could argue with them. But the one thing that they knew was we got to stop this. What was their greatest fear? Their greatest fear was the ministry and the gospel would continue to spread. Their greatest fear was that they couldn't control the narrative of the gospel. Well, why couldn't they control the narrative of the gospel? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. And the vessels that God was using wouldn't remain silent but that they would speak with boldness. Why? Because they had a bone to pick? No. Because they were commissioned by God and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Being a Christ follower and entering into conversation about the gospel is not about you, nor is it about your ability to debate. If you make it about you, it is no longer the gospel. Hear me clearly. It's about Jesus. And it's about the care and concern for those that are perishing that you're bringing the truth to them. And so this witness could not be silent. They couldn't stop it. They were worried about this. So what did they do? Verses 18 to 22, they summoned them to come back in. Bring them back in. Peter and John, they come back in. 
They come walking into the council chambers. Can you imagine what that looks like? These guys are inside. They're sweating. All 71 of them. What are we going to do? Peter and John are going, I like this. Can you tell when you got somebody on the ropes? Peter and John walk in. And within this, it says, When they had summoned them in, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Well, of course they're going to. We can't punish them. We don't have any reason to punish them. We don't have any legitimate reason to bring about a punishment. And they got 5,000 followers. What are they scared of? A riot. If we punish them, we're going to create a riot. And there's no legal reason to punish them. So what are we going to do? We're going to exercise our authority as Sanhedrin. As government. We're going to tell you, now you need to be quiet. Now you need to be silent. Stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Stop preaching in this name that is there. And I love Peter's answer within this. Peter says to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give you heed, or rather to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about, note, what we have seen and what we have heard. Peter's personal experience with the Lord. John's personal experience with the Lord was moving them in an effectual witness to preach. They are preaching what they know. What did they know? Three years of ministry with Jesus, the miracles, the teachings, all that was going on. What did they know? The real resurrection of Jesus. You want me to what? You want me to stop preaching and teaching what I know? What do I know? Jesus commissioned me to go to make disciples and baptize everyone. That was my calling. Who do I obey? Now, this is a dilemma. It's a dilemma that we often find ourselves in today. When the gospel message is an annoyance or an offense to those that have authority over you, and the Sanhedrin did from the Jewish standpoint. Who do I obey? God or man? When government tells you to do something that is directly against what God has told you to do, who should you obey? We always obey the higher authority. Always obey the higher authority. And who is the highest authority? God. They were telling them to, to disrespect and disregard the commissioning that Jesus gave to them. And they said this. Whether you think it's right or not, I'm going to let God judge. But for me, I have to do what God's told me to do. I have to take that stand And I cannot stop speaking about what I've seen within this. This is a difficult condition that we find ourselves even in the church today. As the world presses in, and as the the godless narrative is being forced upon so many people to silence the message of the gospel and the truth of God's word, we have to decide every day, 
to be silent or to speak. But do we do it in a militant way? Absolutely not. We speak as God affords us the opportunity. We speak what we know. We don't go looking for fights. We don't go picking fights. But we speak the truth in love. I love the fact that the initial engagement from Peter was to present the gospel to the Sanhedrin. Well, they were rejecting that. But they wanted to make that decision for everybody else. Peter says, no, we're commissioned by Jesus to go out. The council's threats were empty. In fact, it says this in verse 21. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them and on the account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. There is going to be great threat and great oppression. You need to stop living your faith out loud, because if you don't stop, then you're going to lose your job. Church, you need to stop preaching the gospel and preaching Jesus. If, if, if you don't stop doing that, we're going to take your, your 501c3 tax-exempt status. My answer is take it. Take it. We're still going to preach the gospel. Why? Because that's what we're commissioned to do. And in that, just as the council's threats are empty, so are the threats of the devil and the threats of the world. Because we do answer to Christ, who has called us and commissioned us to have this emboldened witness. Now again, do we do that just because we're picking fights? Absolutely not. This is not political. This is, this is based on somebody's eternal salvation. To share that gospel with clarity. And so when they were released, verse 23... They were returned. I love the fact that it says, and when they were released, they were returned to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and the elders said to them. In other words, they returned to the home fellowship that was there, the group that was there, no doubt that was praying for them, their own people. They report all that's going on, the witness and the testimony upon them. This is what God's done. Can you imagine? Peter and John, they're in jail. They're standing guard. What, what is everybody else doing? What are they doing? They're praying. And they're praying in such a way that they're praying for the release. Peter and John show up. They report, this is what happened. You're not going to believe this. We preached to the Sanhedrin. And they, and they didn't beat you. They didn't. No, they couldn't do anything. In fact, we left them silent. Really? Yeah. But what did they do? They praised God. Notice what they did. It says this, and it's in a, what's called a vocative. It says, O oh Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. That is a praise statement. In Jewish culture, in Hebrew culture, it was common to, to call out God by name. O oh Lord or O oh Sovereign Lord. It's, it's vocative. It's the, it's the calling out of a name. And then the praise is God that creates everything. It's a declaration of sovereignty. It, it actually stems back to a prayer in Nehemiah 9.6. It says, you alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens and the heavens are the host. And the earth and all that's in it, and the seas, that's all that's in it. You give life to all of them and the heavenly host bows down before you. 
They didn't say we, we spoke a good speech, we, we did this great thing. No, they say, God, you did this. You were sovereign over all. Is God good? How often? Did it always work out this way for the church? No, there are many people that are persecuted for their faith. Many people will lose their lives for preaching the gospel. It doesn't always work out like this. But God is good in the release here. God is also good in the times of persecution and martyrdom. But what do they pray also? Notice the second part of their prayer. And this is a prayer all the way through. A continuous prayer where they they praise God. And then the second part of their prayer, they acknowledge the work of God. Who, by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David said, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people devise? In other words, God, in your sovereignty, we know that the Gentiles or the ungodly are going to hate this. In fact... The Holy Spirit inspired David to write this, and he's quoting out of Psalms chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. He says this, Why are the nations at an uproar and the people devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and His anointed one. What is that part of the prayer about? That part of the prayer is this, very simply. God, you are sovereign over everything. Even when people rage against you and reject you, you're still sovereign. You're still in control. And then Peter turns his prayer, and the group turns their prayer to the city. For truly this city there are gathered together against your holy servant Jesus. And we got Herod and Pilate and the, and the Romans or the Gentiles within this to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined. In other words, we know that these people that stand against you are still under your sovereign control. In fact, you predestine all of these things. And we trust in you. Question. Why was Peter so bold, and John so bold, and the people so bold? Well, I can tell you this, the power of the Holy Spirit, but also the understanding of God's sovereignty. God, you predestined us. You predestined the Son to come, to die on the cross. You predestined our lives and, our, and all of this. And within this, they pray. The last part of their prayer is this. Grant your servants boldness. Notice the petition in verse 28. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with confidence. And while you extend your hand to heal signs and wonders and take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Thank you, God. May I have another. What are they praying for? They're not praying out of the difficulties. They're praying for more opportunities. Think about this prayer for a moment. The opportunity to heal the lame man was a great opportunity to preach so that more people would come to faith. But it was also putting them in the crosshairs of the religious leaders who would now attack them. And what do they pray for? Their prayer is this. God, give us more opportunity to do more signs and wonders. Why? Because in those opportunities are going to come great opposition, and in great opposition are opportunities to share the gospel. They don't back off of it. They say, Lord, have, give us another one. Give us another. Give us more opportunity to be able to share. So many times we pray out of the tribulation, and we don't pray into the tribulation. What can we pray into the tribulation? 
because those times of tribulation grow our faith and give us opportunity to share the gospel. There are opportunities for us to be able to do that. When we pray, we need to understand that we are praying according to the will of God. And I love what ends up happening is, is that the earth shakes. I came across a quote that said this, when, when we pray, God shows up. And when we pray, God fills up. And when we pray, God gives us power to speak up. Verse 31 says, the whole place began to shake. They were all shaken together and they were filled with the Holy Spirit with this freshness to be able to speak with boldness. Philip Brooks once said, don't pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Don't pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for power equal to your tasks. That's powerful. We've got to understand that God answered their prayer. He shook it. And they were filled with a freshness. This is not a second Pentecost. They did not have an earthquake and all speak in tongues. The sign that God's presence was there was an earthquake. The presence of the Holy Spirit came with this internal boldness of being able to speak a bold witness. And in Acts 4.33 we read, And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. Do we pray for boldness? Are we feeling the earthquake? We need to pray more. We need to pray that God would give us the boldness to take a stand, to see the opportunities that He affords to us and capture those opportunities and not shy away from them. Our first thought in the opportunity to share the gospel is, how is this going to negatively impact me? That should not be our first thought. Our first thought is, how is this opportunity going to bring glory to God? D.A. Torrey said this, Pray for great things, expect great things, work for great things, and above all, pray. Pray. The church gathered together and they prayed. And the work of the church exploded. Why? Because they were on their knees. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were led by the Spirit. And the church grew. May that be our prayer this morning. God, I thank you that we can be in this place. That we can come and we can fall on our face before you and we can pray. God, we praise you and we thank you because you are creator of all things. You are far above this earth and the kings and the rulers of this place. God, you are greater. And all of this has been demonstrated through the power of the cross. That, Lord Jesus, you died and have given us new life and hope and a future. That you conquered our enemy, death. And there is nothing to fear. You've taken away that fear and given us assurance of salvation. And it's in the boldness of the assurance of salvation that we can preach. We can share the gospel because of what we witness personally. Lord Jesus, you've afforded us the opportunity to remember that grace gift through communion. And in a moment, we're going to have the opportunity to celebrate communion, to remember that freshness and experience of receiving the Lord. That's what I want to encourage you to do during this time. You'll receive the bread and the cup. It's available to anybody who names the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If you haven't done that, let the elements go by. Because they really won't have meaning for you.
If you've got sin that you're not willing to get rid of, confess, let the elements go by. Don't make a mockery of the, the death of Jesus by taking His communion, but still living in sin, blatant sin. And during this time, think about what the power of the cross has given to you and how you've been set free from death. God, I thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts even now. Embolden our witness through the memory of what you've done, that we can witness that which we've experienced. We thank you. In Jesus' name. The ushers can come forward.
darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But when Jesus arose with our freedom in hand, that's when death was arrested in my thank you that you have made us new but that newness that was given to us came at the cost of your son as we hold this bread up let's think about the new life that you have now that will continue on to eternity and it's all been afforded because your sins were nailed to the cross. That Jesus took upon His body all pain, all suffering, and the full wrath of His Father physically so that we could live eternally with no pain, with no sorrow, with no suffering. 
We thank you, Lord Jesus, for this bread and all that it means. The newness of life that has been given to us. That we don't have to fear death or fear what men might do to us because we are redeemed. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. So I'll take the bread together. Let's hold the cup up before the Lord. God, we thank you for this cup. It reminds us of the new covenant that you have made, Lord Jesus, with the church. Us, your children. This agreement that was purchased by your blood that we wouldn't have to stand before a holy God because our sins have been washed away. The blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin and all unrighteousness. We hold this cup as, up as a reminder that it was finished. And we stand before a holy God in His throne room of grace right now. Pure and clean. We thank You, Lord Jesus, that You gave Your life and that Your blood was shed as a sacrificial lamb. And it's by Your blood we live. So as we take this cup together, may we rejoice and celebrate all that you've blessed us with. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all take the cup together. As is our practice, and I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward, we collect a one Sunday a month special offering so that we can love others. This benevolent gift goes towards meeting the needs of the people in their homes and bills and those kinds of things. It's the body of Christ, serving the body of Christ, but also serving the community. These resources are available for anybody who has need. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this offering, the special blessing. We have been blessed. Lord, may we bless others. And may we celebrate that blessing of the gospel and celebrate the blessing of resources to those who have need. Every opportunity we have, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. And be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turned His face toward you and gave you Oh uh-huh.
Carrie Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 10.45 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-397. 4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.